Welcome, everybody. You made it to the <laughs> Friday edition of Talkback. 721-1290 is our number, and it is open phones. By the way, Talkback this morning brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, where they offer residential and commercial cleaning. And no job, of course, too big or too small. Uh, if you want to get a free estimate, here's the number. You should know it by now. 406-260-6617. Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, where they only have authentic New York bagels and pastries from Little Italy, uh, located on North Reserve. And again, thanks for joining us on Talk Back this morning. Nick Christensen is right over there. Hello, hello. Boy, What I don't know what happened to me about uh, yeah. a minute ago. All of a sudden you can't talk. You well, got the cough. Well, well, I had, I had a, uh, first I, I sneezed a couple of times. Yeah. And then uh, all of a sudden my throat went like this. <laughs> <laughs> so it was going to be the Nick Christensen show there for oh, yeah. a little a little while. So. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway, let's, let's uh, it's open phone, so we got to see what's going on right now. Good morning to whom? Uh, this is Ed. Ed, good morning. Welcome to Talk Back, sir. Yes, and thanks for mentioning yesterday Burt Backrack and his song, uh, Raindrops Keeps Falling on My Head. Yes, sir. Uh, but I, I always associated that with Dionne Warwick, to tell you the truth. Uh, really? She's, so I, I went online and found it and uh, played it. Uh, but you know how YouTube gives you other choices over on the side that right. if you like that song, you, you'll click on this one? Well, there was Randy Newman and... Uh, uh, Louisiana, 1927. Wow. And do you know, if, if you're familiar with the song, it's about the most moving song I can imagine. Wow. And it has to do with the uh, big flood of the Mississippi in 1927. I still think it holds the record uh, for, you know, elevation uh, of the flood. And it uh, started a northward migration of black people because to the to the northern right. cities because they had the bottomlands of course poor people are going to have the uh, you know the, the the worst possible location for for a house and and the flood just took those houses off and right. started the migration to the big northern cities wow. I'd, I'd like to check that with your historians when when they get on again well um, I, I tell you Michael what, and Pete, Peter well Peter Peter Stark is coming back um, I, I understand is that right next week uh, no next month next month yeah. so so the the adventure uh-huh. writer uh, uh, Peter Stark who is an historian by the way. Um, is, I have to say, an historian. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, and he's really good at that. And also, um, when we have Mirdad and, and Michael, sure, why not? Yeah, and if you got a chance, uh, bring up that song uh, by Randy Newman, Louisiana, nineteen forty, uh, nineteen twenty-seven. Nineteen twenty-seven. All right, good deal. Well, thanks right. for the uh, thanks okay. for the update, man. Appreciate it. Sure enough. All right. Oh, it was a pleasure, Ed. Appreciate it. All uh, right. We have Susan. Susan. Susan Campbell Renault. Good morning, Susan. What's up? Well, your own Dennis Bragg, who used to be with a, a television yeah, station, he was, he was, but he was, now he was, he was with, with He was with KPAX. Yeah. We don't say that, Peter. Well, I know. <laughs> I didn't know if I was supposed to mention right. it. But he, he's come to his senses now, and he's with there us. There it is. That's better. <laughs> he's with He's with the Sanity Group. Right, right. He's with the Sanity Group. Anyway, he and Jill Valley, one of my favorite ladies, um, was the uh, were the MCs for a lovely program last night that I attended. 
um, recognizing all of our uh, first responders and uh, law enforcement officers. Oh, and I would like to name I would like to name the people that were honored Great. by the Exchange Club. Um, if I could, by do you all mind? Yo, yeah, absolutely not. You go okay. right ahead. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna totally slaughter the pronunciation of some of these names. But um Missoula County nine one one dispatcher that was honored. This is the fiftieth annual um uh this is the fiftieth annual officer of the year award wow. by the Missoula Exchange Club. And uh which I didn't realize it was the fiftieth year. But anyway, um Anna, and it's L-E-C-H-L-E-I-T-E-T-N-E-R, Lichner. Okay. Um, Montana Highway Patrol Trooper Robert Strauch, S-T-R-A-U-C-H. Mm-hmm. Probation and Patrol Officer Carrie Hegenbach, H-E-G-E-N-B-A-T-H, Hegenbach. Okay. Um uh, Missoula Police Department Officer Jay Gilhouse. I know I pronounced that right. Right. University of Montana Police Department Officer uh, Rob Sheban, who used to work for KGBO, um, and Missoula County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Scott King, um, Missoula County Sheriff's Office Corporal Matthew Bodily, and the last one is Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Park Sergeant Dan Curtin. Wonderful. Okay. Well, des- well deserved. Thank, thank you, Sue, and thanks for attending that. And now, now I know why Dennis wasn't here today. He was up, up way too late to be at, at a 6 o'clock morning news show. So, Or, I'm sorry, he's, he's, yeah, over, well, he's over on he, KISS FM now, so. Yeah, it um it it actually ended relatively early, but it was so lovely and uh, lots of Valentine balloons and Valentine flowers and candies. But um, all of our law enforcement people need to get a big round of applause, and everybody was dressed up in their police officer uniform, so it was kind of fun to see everybody all gussied up. You might you might say it was probably the safest probably the safest place in town last night, wouldn't you say? <laughs> it was with all those law enforcement folks. I, yeah, yeah, it was very lovely. I personally was in Valentine pink, but everybody else was in officer officer blues and blacks. Very cool. Well, so I, it was I very lovely. Really appreciate you sharing that, and God bless all those folks who put their lives on the line for us every single day. Really. You bet. You bet. Thank you, Susan. Congrats to all of them. And thank you to the Exchange Club for, for doing this for 50 years. I had no idea. They're, the, they're also the ones that put out 7,000 flags for my Never Forget service at Rose Park on September 11th. I remember. And uh, we should remember as well. Susan, it's always a pleasure talking okay. with you, ma'am. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. 721-1290, perfect time to do that. Uh, By the way, looking ahead to 9 o'clock this morning, it'll be City Talk. And those of you who were around in 2014 remember what they called the urban avalanche that occurred off Mount Jumbo, uh, destroyed a couple of homes. Uh, I think one person perished, uh, several others injured. And so uh, they have plans now 
uh, just in case there's another one. And they want to make sure they are totally prepared because we weren't for that one. Uh, so Adrian Beck, the director of the Missoula County Office of Emergency Management, will be here in the studio along with Jeff Gicklehorn. He's in charge of, uh, of Mount Jumbo. And, uh, of course, Ginny Miriam will, will be joining us as well. But right now, it's open phones. So what's on your mind? At 721-1290, I will be back. Uh, lines are open right after this. Okay, we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Nick Christensen over there taking your phone calls, and you had an excellent suggestion for where we should go next there, sir. Yeah, the Sleepy Inn is finally going to be demolished. Right. So I, that... I have the story right here. Written by our, our fabulous Dennis Bragg. Uh, Dateline Missoula, the former motel known as the Sleepy Inn, will finally disappear from Missoula's landscape as soon as the this coming week as the city of Missoula uh, tears down the buildings uh, uh, once used as emergency shelters during the pandemic. The city had acquired the former motel in the 1400 block of West Broadway in the early days of the pandemic with the idea that the space would be needed for emergency shelter for the homeless that might need to be isolated because of COVID. The city spent um, $1.1 million on the property uh, in 2020 and had provided shelter to as many as almost 400 people before it was finally closed. And, and remember this, about yes. that money, right? Yes. What? Now, the money, this is, not, this is not your precious tax dollars, local tax dollars. Right. This was, uh, I believe, ARPA funds, yeah, right? Federal funding, yeah, during right. COVID. So the free money we keep referring right. to that now is gone. That now uh, <laughs> we're trying to that, that, that's that's now <laughs> part of our program. Yeah, now yeah. part of our fabulous federal deficit. But anyway, yeah. uh, let's see. In December, the redevelop the MRA Missoula Redevelopment Agency approved the plan to go ahead and deconstruct, which means, boom, tear it down, baby. Uh, so the land can be used uh, as the West Broadway Corridor is redeveloped in the coming years. Now the city agencies have signed a contract with Three River Landmarks, LLC, to uh, being the remover that will start with a cleanup of hazardous materials such as asbestos and then the building's deconstruction and removal. Subcontractors include abatement contractors and heritage timber. Heritage estimates as much as 60% of the building materials can be salvaged and recycled keeping it out of the city's landfill. It's a good thing. Uh, city officials say the contractors are expected to start work in the coming week. And they have 60 days to finish the deconstruction. Missoula firefighters will be used. Uh, They're using will, the building. Oh, sorry, yeah. will, will be using the building, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, for some training before it's gone. Uh, the long-range plans under the Envision West Broadway, the Sleepy Inn a site, will be redeveloped. city says the realtor working on the project It'll be an easier. It'll be easier to sell the property to a new developer if the site is cleared. Of course, funds from the sale of the property will be placed into the Missoula Affordable Housing Fund, and that's the key line because I know people are going to ask us when what do you, you know, know with the this money? becomes more news and people exactly. actually see the building go down and right. then, whoa, we spent this money. Where are we going to? Where, where's the money going to go? Right. Supposedly. It's going to be in Missoula's affordable housing fund. So now, how you much know. impact that makes, who knows? I yeah. don't know. Now you know, as my friend Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. What do you think uh, it's going to sell for? I think we're going to make a little profit. I mean, well, that's a great piece of land, right? Well, that well, was the well, idea. Let's put it this way: since we didn't put out anything for it, right? And even a buck is going to be a profit, right? I mean, True. whatever they get. But considering. The value of that land as part of, you know, it's right next to the river. I mean, it, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from the river, 
right? And everybody wants to live or have a business close to the river. It's near the Russell, uh, pardon me, uh, the uh, yeah, the Russell Street Bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's near downtown. It's right off Broadway. It it should it should draw a pretty penny. And I'm I'm wondering. Let, let me have, the the phone lines are clear. So what do you, our wise and wonderful KGVO listeners, what do you think should go in that spot? It sounds like we're just going to sell the land, right? And then whoever buys it can put whatever they want there. So are we <laughs> are we going to have a five story apartment on the corner of uh, Broadway? There are we? I want to have a petting uh, zoo, a little business area. <laughs> I mean that and that you know that whole West Broadway corridor right, is right. being redeveloped, but you know in the next years or so. But yeah, I mean that area is going to look very different. But I'm just curious what what type of price tag it might fetch, really, because I have no idea. Well, I Maybe I don't. Someone knows out there. I don't. Know. I, I don't either. I you know I, it's funny. I don't spend a lot of time downtown, uh, so it's. I, I'm trying to imagine in my mind exactly. Well, I, this I, isn't quite downtown. I know, but it, but it, but but it's it's a gateway to downtown. Sure. Right? Yeah. Broadway yeah. goes literally right smack dab through the middle of downtown Missoula. Sure. Yeah. So uh, anyway, was wondering what you guys think. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number and. We are awaiting your opinions because <laughs> you guys are a lot smarter than we are. Hey, so. I remember when this Sleepy Inn was purchased and those lines were lit up oh. <laughs> because people were furious about that. And why are we spending money? At? So, right. you know, I'm, I want to hear from those same people now that we're finally going to, you know, there's no need for the building for what we bought it for. You know, what do you think? So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we could go ahead and take a, a break a little bit early. Hopefully, yeah, maybe someone will call. Yeah, and by the way, don't forget at nine o'clock. Uh, this is we're, we're only going to be doing this for a few minutes. So at nine o'clock, we will be talking with we'll do doing city talk. Adrian Beck will be with us. She's actually with the county director of the Missoula County Office of Emergency Management. Jeff, Jeff Kicklehorn will also be with us, uh, conservation conservation lands manager. And we'll be talking about uh, urban avalanche stuff, but. Right now, we'd love to hear from you about what to do with the land where the Sleepy Inn is currently located. Again, our number is 721-1290. Hopefully, hear, to hear from you, we'll be right back. And we're so happy for that. <laughs> wow. Produced at taxpayer expense. Cool. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's move right along. And I understand that we have Harry on the line. Good morning, Harry. Thanks for calling. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, first off, real quick, I... I from looking around what they usually build in places, it's either going to be a bank or a hotel, so that's just a guess. But I just that seems like every place they're, they're putting up a bank somewhere. Well, or, it's, a, it's a motel now, so, yeah. Yeah, just, but anyway, uh, I want to talk about what the big guffaw that they had here about at, uh, at the legislature about uh, drag time mm-hmm. or drag story mm-hmm. time or whatever. Right. It's like what, what, people get all excited about, you know, it's the newest... Uh, uh, like I, it's the new, newest conservative uh, talking point, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, okay. it's the big, big thing. Yeah, big deal. I'd say some guy dressed up like a woman. What if he dressed up like a pirate? Would that be bad? Or I mean, you know, it's just a person dressed up. So you know, it's a drag. So they're, it's, they're it's, not even. Ha- so it's like Halloween. They're not even claiming to be a, you know trans. They're just a drag. If you're drag, if you claim a drag, you're admitting that you're you know a male dressed up like a woman. It's 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 silly. It's Somebody dressed up if they dressed up like a pirate or a uh, or a mountain man or whatever. That's is that. What's the big deal? Somebody dre- up there dressed up t- telling well, kids stories. Allow me. Allow me ask you this: Would would you do it? 
I I don't I'm not in drag, so I don't I don't wear drag. Uh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. they say well, it's, it's sexual. Maybe that's them projecting. I don't find a guy dressed up like a woman very sexy. So I you know it's you got that I don't right. Think that's, you know, yeah, so I mean, I, they, because they, they, they always they, wear the they, they always wear the wrong shoes and nothing matches. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they find it sexual, maybe that's on them, not the person dressed up. So, all right, Harry, thanks, buddy. Yep. Th- thanks Bye. for the call. Jeff is up next. Good morning, Jeff. So, what are you wearing today, Jeff? Oh my gosh, um, I'm still in my robe and my sweat. So. Okay, what's um, on your mind, sir? I don't know if you consider that drag or not. I would, I would say that uh, the. Uh, when you see somebody who's dressed in drag, they are never dressed like June Cleaver. <laughs> so it's not—it's not a matter of, of just dre- dressing right. up as a woman. Right. It's a pr- particularly provocative and sexual image they're trying to portray. So it's not just something innocuous. There's always a sexual element, and that's the objection that people have to it. But the question I called about today is much deeper and more burning than that. Go for it. And that's in. And that's in, since you guys came up with your new studio, um, you have not been able to do bumper music. We don't have bumper so music. Yes, like, that's right. I, I would like to know the status of the bumper music update. Are we ever going to hear it again? You know, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was say, I think Peter's given up on that. Well, well here, 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 here's <laughs> the deal. It's so hard. Here's the deal. Uh, just the, There's a lot of internal stuff going on with this new system. They would have to create an entire new category within our, our computer system, and and, um, and and the the way that our logs, our computer logs, are they're very 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 regimented, and and they're and they're very few categories. There's commercials and public service announcements, and that's pretty much it. There is no um, uh, category for bumper music. So uh, even if we had bumper music, I'd have to manually insert it into the log and then, you know, but it could only go on for 30 or 40 seconds. And so anyway, it, it, it just got to the point where, you know what, we just threw up our hands and said, forget about it. So that's that's pretty much the update. Yeah. OK, it sounds like it's uh, something that if they if. If the creators, I, this is a commercial software package that got bought, right? I mean, it's used by multiple radio stations around yes, the country. Yes, yes, yes. It is called Zeta, and it's really, it's really amazing the way it works. I mean, it's so much easier for us to use, but it is a different uh, kind of thing than what we used to have. I think we need to all write into Zeta and demand the uh, grassroots uh, bumper music uh, category for the software so that we can, we can hear it again. Well, we'll, well, I can certainly bring it up to the powers that be, but we'll see what happens. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm I guess, appealing to the listening audience, the other listener out there. Let's both, uh, let's both go out and, and, and bombard Zeta with. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks uh, for the. Go ahead. One, one, one thing real quick, too. I haven't heard Len call in in a while. I hope he's doing all right. I hope he's doing fine as well. I know he lives up, lives up in the Bitterroot, and he is always a pleasure to talk to. Yeah, we haven't gotten a uh, 93, Highway 93 update in a while. Exactly, so. exactly. Hey, uh, thanks for the call. we got to get okay. one, more, one more call in. Emmett, we got about a um, minute and a half. Go ahead. Well, thanks for taking my call. Well, <clears throat> briefly, um, you know, I almost thought about as far as that old hotel, the Sleepy Inn, we ought to put in an all-you-can-eat buffet because I want one of those. Mm. But that wouldn't be a very good place to put one because I live down in that area. The mall would be a better one. But... 
I did not even hear about this bill in the legislature about the drag story hour. Is there one? Because, you know, drag story time? Because I've always objected to drag queens or transgendered people, you know, uh, talking about that to, um, to little kids, you know, toddlers. That's the objection, is they'll go into, you know, libraries and teach to three- and four-year-olds the glories of being a drag queen or transgendered or in the homosexual lifestyle. That is deviant. If I were to do it, I would be arrested. That's the whole thing. It is sexualized. It is a deviant lifestyle. If you're, if, you know, And, you know, I've never worn a dress. I've had a hippie skirt when I was 18 and 19 trying to be a hippie that I wore at home, but I've never been in drag. That's uh, it's uh, Emmett, yeah? I'm sorry, man. I, we have a hard break coming up in about 15 seconds. But listen, thanks for the call, okay? We, we can do this another yeah, and time. I'll have to call the legislature and ask them about All that. Right. But that's uh, that's Harry's an objection to Harry's. That's what, you know, when I was... All right. uh, Harry, if you're listening, that's what we object to. All right. Uh, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. We're going to come right back. Uh, we have City Talk on the way at the top of the Crime hour. Report. Oh, um, yeah, don't we, the crime report from Kirsten Pabst as well, uh, who is a new authorist, by the way. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is hour number two of Talk Back for this Friday. And Talk Back is brought to you this morning by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Well, they have authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy, actually flown in from New York City at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery on North Reserve. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, offering residential and commercial cleaning and no job too big or too small. Give them a call today, 260-6617. Okay, we have a full house, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, good to have you along this morning. But before we get to uh, City Talk, we have uh, a county person joining us. Mac Bloom is, uh, the, I, I believe, the chief prosecutor now for uh, the uh, Missoula County Attorney's Office. Mac, good morning and welcome to Talk Back. How good to talk with you, sir. Yeah, you too, Peter. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm the lead attorney of the Major Crimes Unit for our office. There so you go. Uh, happy to be here and uh, fill in for Kirsten today. So what, what do you have for us today, sir? Well, Peter, it's been a pretty busy week. Uh, we ended up charging 19 new cases. Uh, a lot of them were either violent crimes or drug crimes. I don't think it's any surprise to you, but we've seen a large uptick in drug cases in Missoula County over the last couple of years, specifically the fentanyl. Um, that's been coming in from Mexico, and it's driving a lot of the criminal activity that we're seeing in our town, whether it's property crime, violent crime, you name it. Also, we've got the methamphetamine issue, which has been around for a while, but that continues to be a, a big issue for law enforcement. All right, so please continue. What, what, what are the other crimes that uh, you can share with us today? Well, Peter, we have, uh, we have charged four strangulations, uh, two uh, assault robbery cases, uh, an animal abuse case, and then uh, five new drug crimes. So... There have been a lot of uh, variety of crimes, but primarily drug crimes and then violent crimes. Now, uh, do you, I realize you, you are a prosecutor, but uh, when it comes to criminology, do you think any, anything with, with, with the crimes, especially the violent crimes against persons, has anything to do with the, with the really cloudy and bitter cold weather we've been having? Or is it just, does that have anything to do with it? What do you think? You know, I don't know, Peter. It seems like just anecdotally, we see crime at different times of the year. And honestly, we see it more around the full moon. That's kind of a joke we've got around here. But it seems to be when there's a full moon, there's more criminal activity. I don't know that it has anything to do with the weather because it seems like we charge just as many cases in the summer. 
Um, but I do think it has to do a lot with, for whatever reason, uh, certain times where people are out maybe partying more, using more substances. Um, I really do think that plays a role in it. So around holidays, things like that. So uh, I, I know that th- this is also a time when your uh, your, your office is always preparing uh, uh, trials. Uh, anything that you can share with us on that on that front? Yeah, we actually have five trials coming up on February 22nd. Um, the way that the trial system works is the court stacks them in priority based on their age. The court will try the oldest case first, and the court always sets multiple trials for a given day in case one pleads out at the last minute. So uh, on the 22nd of February, we have an indecent exposure case, uh, an assault with a weapon case, and then various other property crimes. So if anyone's interested in coming to watch those, that would be uh, definitely interesting. Now, that is, now, it's important for folks to know that the courthouse is open now, and so people can attend, uh, go, go in, into the gallery and watch these, uh, watch these trials. What, what, is, what is the protocol, I mean, as far as uh, people being able to come and go out of, out of a, a criminal trial? I've, I've often wondered about that, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. So you're right. People are welcome to attend. These are public, uh, public settings, and so people can watch the entire case. Um, coming and going is no problem, just as long as you're quiet and respectful. Uh, when the judge walks in, you'll need to rise for the judge. That's one thing that some people don't know, and then they get they get caught off guard when, when they're told by the bailiff to stand up. So rise when the judge comes in, rise when the jury leaves, and then other than that, you're more than welcome to make yourself comfortable, leave to use the bathroom, leave if you have to go back to work for a little while. Uh, it's it's very relaxed. And one more quick question. Let's talk about jury duty. How, how, how's that going? Are, are you having trouble getting jurors or are people being cooperative? It's actually been really good. We've had quite a few jurors. I have not yet seen a case that has been a mistrial due to a lack of jurors. So people are coming in, people are willing to do their civic duty, and we really appreciate that from the perspective of our office. Excellent. Mac, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for filling in today. We appreciate it, and best of luck to you, sir. Absolutely, Peter. You have a great weekend. And the same to you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come right back. We will have City Talk with our guests in studio talking about the urban avalanche and what we're going to do to try to keep that from happening or uh, planning for it and trying to respond uh, in a way. We'll also look back at what happened in 2014. So we're going to come right back uh, with City Talk right after this. And we are back on City Talk. It's Talk Back, the City Talk presentation. Uh, and I want to say thank you to Ginny Miriam. Uh, she's the communications director for the city of Missoula. I want to take a moment to introduce Adrian Beck and uh, Jeff Gicklehorn. Adrian, of course, director of the Missoula County Office of Emergency Management. You and I have worked together for a long time. It's, it's a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming. And Jeff Gicklehorn. All right. Uh, and you, you are the conservation lands manager for the city, right? That's correct. So a little bit closer to the microphone. Yes, there that's you go. That's perfect. All right. So uh, the reason we're here today, uh, Adrian and Jeff and, and Ginny, is back in 2014, Missoula uh, had a it, it was a it was a monster snow year. Uh, I, I rarely believe that we've had so much snow in one in one fell swoop. Than that particular year, 2009, also comes to mind. Um, but something happened in the rattlesnake that hadn't happened before, and uh, it was called an urban avalanche. So would you mind taking us through that and, and, and talk about, first of all, the reason you're here is not because we're expecting that to happen again, but being prepared is what you do. That's, that's part of the description of the Office of Emergency Management. So go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you uh, queued that up really well. And in 2014, in in the month of February, uh, we had a, uh, a a storm come through, and it was a. a a weather pattern that is not uncommon to January and February, where we have these northerly uh, systems that come in from Canada, and they they have these east winds, and and that certainly was a factor in in 2014. But we also had tremendous precipitation that came with that, and what that wind did is it created a, a very large uh, snow slab up on the top of Mount Jumbo, um, and uh, on that day it was very cold, but people were out recreating, and and unfortunately a, a snowboard a snowboarder um, disregarded the no trespassing on, on Mount Jumbo, which Jeff will talk about why that's in place, uh, and triggered a, an avalanche. And unfortunately, uh, for the first time that we know of, an avalanche reached the valley floor and uh, tragically resulted in a fatality and uh, significant property damage. And there was also some significant injuries there as well, right? I mean, people were trapped and uh, but but what you can say, uh, if you can put a positive on this, the response was absolutely amazing by the entire community. I mean, uh, that basically everybody wanted to get in there to help, right? Indeed, yes. And, you know, I mean, I think that um, since 2014, we don't want to repeat that, obviously. Um, right. Well, uh, the fire department, police department, and as you indicated, numerous volunteers kind of descended on the scene. Um, it, it was a pretty unsafe situation. And, and I think that from that experience, we have uh, outlined a way to do that better should it happen again. Well, let's talk about uh, talk about that. First of all, Jeff, let, let's talk a little bit about Mount, Mount Jumbo. And because that that's your bailiwick that, you know, that's uh, so tell us what's going on. I, I know that for for a time during the winter, uh, that Mount Jumbo is closed to, to recreation, first of all, because of the elk winter up there and, and all sorts of reasons. So give us a little brief history of Mount Jumbo and what's happening with it right now. So that's correct. In uh, 1997, the community came together to purchase Mount Jumbo. And there was a recognition that, uh, you know, we have this really wild landscape right next to town and we need to do what we can as a community to help protect that. And um, it's actually enshrined in city ordinance that we have a seasonal wildlife closure, uh, depending on which part of the mountain you're looking at from December 1st, either through mid to late March or through May 1st. And that's put in place primarily to uh, protect the wintering elk herd. So 85 to 100 elk over winter on Mount Jumbo each year. What we will talk about is that also, given the avalanche in 2014, gives us a tool to help prevent human triggering uh, or human triggered avalanche on Mount Jumbo. So the fact that we have a closure uh, to benefit wildlife also potentially helps with um, uh, avalanche mitigation. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we're talking about this because as, ever since this happened, whenever I drive up the rattlesnake or, or I, I always look up uh, in that area and I, and I think of, oh my goodness, uh, I remember what happened in 2014. And so it's important for us to, for those who people who have just moved into Missoula, uh, first of all, for, for those who maybe are brand new uh, and don't know where Mount Jumbo, where is Mount Jumbo? And, and uh, why, you know, uh, uh, when does it reopen? What, what are the, you know, what are the protocols for being able to recreate on Mount Jumbo? Yeah, that's great. So Mount Jumbo is in the northeast side of the valley. It's on the east side of the Rattlesnake Valley and just north of Hellgate Canyon. Um, you can pretty much see Mount Jumbo from anywhere in the valley bottom, with few exceptions. Uh, it's open generally, I'm going to say, late spring. Again, like I said, it, there are various opening times, either late March or May 1st 
through December thir- December 1st. So we close for the winter season on December 1st. If you look up, you know, past downtown or to the to the north of the university, you see the large L. That L is on Mount Jumbo. Um, and so how we differentiate Mount Jumbo versus our other mountains in the valley, like, for example, Mount Sentinel, Mount Dean Stone, or potentially the North Hills. So uh, that's the one mountain in the valley or the one area in the valley that has a full sort of hard winter closure to protect wildlife. Uh, it is a great recreation opportunity in the spring, summer, and fall, but we ask that people stay off to protect wildlife and, as we're talking about, uh, mitigate the chance of a human-triggered avalanche in the winter. Now, as kind of a kind of a fun aside, uh, for, for many, 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 many years, there used to be something called the peace sign up on top of Mount Jumbo, right? Uh, or, 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 or is that well, not Mount Jumbo? That was on the North Hills. The North yes, Hills, right. Correct. Okay. Yep. All right. So, but, <laughs> no. but, but the, the peace sign actually used to be, uh, from what I understand, uh, a telephone reflector of some sort. And then somebody went up there and put a peace sign on it and people kept trying to take it off and it would come back on again. And so it became iconic for Missoula. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, that is correct. And I think, I think one thing that is really unique about Missoula in general is these iconic landscapes around the valley. So the fact that you can be in the valley bottom, wherever, whichever neighborhood you live in, and you look especially to the north, to the east and the southeast, and you see these largely undeveloped landscapes, which are really wild still. Um, and, you know, again, that is extremely unique for many communities. And we want to do what we can to conserve those natural values and that wildness, um, you know, uh, for these landscapes that we have the uh, privilege to recreate on. One of the things I know about about Parks and Rec, uh, 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 the folks at Parks and Rec are really, really serious about uh, about preserving areas where people can go with uh, just minutes out of Missoula and feel like they're in in basically urban wildlands, right? And so how, how do you go about making sure that remains, you know, sacrosanct, if you will? Yeah, that's great. I think that, um, you know, I do like to think that we have a lot of fun as well. So we're not super serious. Um, <laughs> but we are, we, are, we are serious about, you know, open space conservation, right? So uh, the community came together through a number of open space bonds to purchase most of these properties. And we want to recognize the fact that those values that were originally identified should be conserved, right? So whether or not it's the uh, elk herd and their habitat on Mount Jumbo or any of the other uh, extremely uh, pristine landscapes we have around the valley, that those need to be conserved. So whether or not it's uh, weed mitigation or a winter wildlife closure or let's say closure of a user-created recreation trail, any of those actions really help us protect the natural values that occur on those properties. Now, in, in, other, in other larger communities where, you know, they simply have to have places for people to live, right? Sometimes hills like that will be carved into and, and they'll create these artificial little neighborhoods and it's really kind of a mess. But the Missoula decided a long time ago they weren't going to let that happen, right? That's correct. And I think that, you know, again, that leads to uh, these ample recreation opportunities and then these relatively wild landscapes immediately surrounding the valley. So I think that's a great uh, you know, opportunity for all Missoulians to benefit from. And it's a value that's integral to the Missoula community that we need to remind folks of, especially as you mentioned, new residents to the valley, but even long-term residents. Um, it's sometimes easy to get complacent. Sometimes you get those winter doldrums and you really just want to go for a hike on a steep hill, realizing that you know, in this case, we have a seasonal closure for a reason. Um, there are many, many other recreational trail opportunities to utilize year-round. 
And we're going to take a quick break. Come right back. 721-1290. By the way, all of our phone lines are open. If you want to, would like to visit with Adrian or Jeff, uh, the lines are open. They're here to actually talk with you, not just me. So 721-1290 is our number. Uh, maybe you don't understand the whole closure thing or the open lands thing or the open space thing or all the things that are kind of uh, unique to Missoula in many ways. Uh, 721-1290 is the number. We'll be right back. And proud of it. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. This is City Talk. Our guests in studio, Adrian Beck and Jeff Gicklehorn. And folks are wanting to talk with you. Tom is up first. Tom, good morning. You're on with our guests. What's your question? Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, my question is, is, is the uh, Moon Randall Homestead up on the north side part of the city parks pro- uh, properties? Yes. Uh, so it's the Moon Randolph Homestead. And uh, traditionally, the, the Moon and Randolph families owned that property before the city purchased it in 1995 as part of the North Hills Open Space Preserve. So uh, you can hike to uh, the Moon Randolph Homestead from, let's say, the Orange Street Trailhead or the Waterworks Hill Trailhead. And the, the homestead is open for public visitation tours on Saturdays from noon to five uh, between May and October. I did not even know that existed. So, so if you could describe it for me. What, what is it? Uh, it's a historic homestead. Um, you know, again, the, the homesteading era was um, a period in American history. So uh, sort of hard scrabble way of life. I think what's really unique about that property as opposed to many other, I'm using air quotes here, ranches or homesteads <laughs> right. in Montana is that these were normal folk that were doing anything they could to survive. Many other ranches that have been historically preserved are very wealthy families. Um, the Moons and the Randolphs were not. Um, they did anything they could to, from moonshine to, to mining and selling coal um, in the Missoula Valley. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's a recognition of the history of the Missoula Valley and, and how hard people needed to, to work in order to uh, make ends meet here in the past. I, I did want to briefly, uh, you know, acknowledge that it's not just the sort of contemporary historic use, but uh, the uh, traditional Salish um, uh, trail to the buffalo went right through that site as well. And so there has been human use and uh, visitation of that site for thousands of years um, from many different communities. All right. Does, does that help you, Tom? Yeah, uh, I guess I got another sort of a similar question about that area. Are there any plans in in store to uh, make an emergency exit from the uh, upper Rattlesnake area across that property? I know there was talk of doing something like that uh, years ago for a safety kind of emergency access road. Has that been uh, ever uh, considered as a part of that uh, property? So... um not so much going over the North Hills. There are sort of some uh, private property inholdings that you wouldn't be able to get across. Actually, as we talk about Mount Jumbo, there is a, it's a recreation trail, but it's also a unimproved road that goes from the top of Lincoln Hills Drive over to Marshall Canyon. Um, the Parks and Rec has worked with City Fire to uh, determine in the case of an emergency, that road could be opened and that could be used as a release valve off the east side of the rattlesnake. But we don't really have a vehicle or a path uh, out of the west side of the rattlesnake. Yeah. Okay. 
Tom, Tom, I would I would just uh, add to to that in saying that you know one of the concerns we have within the Office of Emergency Management is, is all are all these drainages that uh, don't have multiple egress routes out of them, and and so we're constantly looking for ways to be creative. Um, but as as Jeff just indicated, uh, some of the private property makes that challenging for us to put those into perpetuity. Right, I suppose that's one of those projects that might happen someday if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, I guess I, uh, uh, I guess I was kind of curious because uh, I don't know if some of the money set aside for purchasing properties would be able to address that, that issue. So uh, open space bonds, which you're referring to, uh, which were passed by voters. Yeah are used to purchase open space properties, but we really can only work with willing landowners. Um, so if somebody mm-hmm. is, wants to sell their property to the city or the county for open space preservation, that's great. Uh, we don't really have the vehicle by which to come forward and and um, just make a- Just to annex it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we can't do that. Right. So. All right, Tom, thanks for the yeah. call. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much for the call. Who's up next? This is Al. Al, good morning. You're on with our guests. What's on your mind, sir? Oh, a little bit ago, you were talking about open space lands, and you used the three words, should be preserved. In the city's view, does that also apply to Larchmont Golf Course, which I know is county-owned, but three of our current legislatures over in uh, Helena think different. They want to get rid of Larchmont and turn it into houses. What's the city's opinion on getting rid of Larchmont or keeping it the same for uh, open space lands? Well, I'll just hang up. Okay, uh, I, 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 you, you can do that. We, we will answer that when we come back from the break. 721-1290 is our number. We also have Jeff waiting to visit and several phone lines open at 721-1290. Our guests here in the studio, of course, Jenny Miriam. We just uh, said she's the uh, Director of Communications for the City of Missoula. Adrian Beck, Director of the Missoula County Office of Emergency Management. And Jeff Gickelhorn, he's the uh, uh, Conservation Lands Manager for the city. So we're going to come right back after this. Okay, we're back on Talk Back seven two one twelve ninety is the number. Okay, uh, Larchmont. Uh, I, I, it, there, there was a, a, a big uh, plan that was introduced by the county commissioners uh, several months ago, uh, and they have decided against it. So, uh, Jenny, you, you wanted to comment on that a little bit. Well, the only thing I can say for the city is that we don't own Larchmont, and so we wouldn't have any say over it anyway. Um, whether there was a project there or not, right. um, the city does not have an official opinion. I know that um, our former mayor, John Engen, was consulted about it, uh, but there was never any formal ask to the city. Sure. The now, city is, we, we work hard all the time at helping the development of affordable housing in all kinds of places all over the city, both on property that we own, but also partnering with developers to make that happen. Now, for those who aren't familiar with with the scenario that it was originally set up, that they, they wanted to try with like twenty four hundred basic uh, housing units on that huge area of land where Larchmont now sits, and they were going to move the golf course over to uh, uh, just off uh, off uh, Highway ninety three as you're heading on the way to to Peak. They wanted to have the golf course out there. And I know Nick is shaking his head like, 
No way. <laughs> anyway, so that if those of you who are just joining us for the first time, that's the idea on Larchmont. All right, let's get Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. Thank you for holding, sir. You're on with with Adrian and Jeff. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. I uh, a while back I found a fascinating little pamphlet in PDF format. It's titled "Missoula: The City of the Five Valleys." It dates from I think 1917, maybe uh, 1918. So over 100 years old, and it talks about Missoula there. Um, all sorts of fascinating things that uh, I could go off about. But one of the things it said uh, was that um, Takajuya Park was the southwest corner of the city at the time, um, which shows you uh, the size of the city uh, 100 years ago. Um, and But in that time, um, I don't know how much of a danger avalanches were for the city, um, but now that the city obviously has outgrown that and, and, and uh, begun to fill up the valley, um, besides the rattlesnake, are there any areas that are prone to avalanche damage where people have built houses? I remember the, uh, the story in, in 2014 and the digging out of the kids and, uh, and all of that uh, that was, you know, fortunately nobody died, but it could have been a disaster. I mean, uh, there, 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 was one, there was one fatality, Jeff. Was there one? Yes, there was. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, but are there any other places uh, besides that area of Mount Jumbo that are prone or uh, susceptible to uh, avalanches that people need to worry about all the way around in the uh, in, in the valley? Very good question. Thank you. So uh, go ahead. Adrian. Yeah, you bet. Uh, and thanks, Jeff, for that. Um, because it is something that people should be aware of. Um, we in the Hub of the Five Valleys, as you uh, indicated, we do have the potential for urban avalanches in other places other than Mount Jumbo. Um, essentially, any slope that is greater than 30 degrees um, has the potential for, for an avalanche that, given the right conditions with enough snow on it, um, could have um, you know negative impacts. Mount Jumbo is is unique in that um, its alignment and and the topography of it is such that it is very prone to wind loading um, and snow loading from wind on on the top um, under certain conditions. And because it has such a long uninterrupted slide, um, it has the it has a greater potential to to be uh, fatal and and cause significant property damage. Additionally, there is just a, a ton of unprotected infrastructure at the base of Mount Jumbo, uh, where we see some of the other areas in, in the valley that have potential. Um, there's just not that level of infrastructure in, in the slide path. What, what, what unprotected infrastructure is that, if you could just describe it for us? I mean, what, what's down there at the bottom that could eventually be heavily damaged by Homes. Just the homes. Okay. Homes and and street networks, yeah. Gotcha. All right. So let's uh, continue on. Um, Let's see. Oh, nope, 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 we're not. (laughs) All right. I I remember years years and years, a million, million years ago, okay, I I was doing uh, a a show on another radio station here in Missoula, and we had a little fun with, okay, Missoula's the hub of five valleys. Name them. <laughs> and, and so, and so we had people calling in all morning long, and we ended up, and this is no joke, we ended up with twenty-two different valley names for the mm. hub of five valleys. And I'm just going, wow, that blew my mind. So, that uh, you guys would probably know what they actually are, right? Or do you? I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's not fair, Peter. <laughs> 
<laughs> Off topic. You, you didn't say that. You didn't say there'd be a test, right? No. <laughs> this is radio trivia. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm just bringing that up. Yeah. All right, we do have a caller. Ed is back. Ed, good morning. You're back on Talkback. Go ahead, sir. Yes, uh, in uh, relation to Jeff's question, uh, I think there was a tragic avalanche uh, above East Missoula. Looking down on East Missoula, some couple boys uh, were up there and got caught in it. And I think there was one or two fatalities there. It's on the backside of uh, Mount Jumbo, but uh, I don't think the houses uh, are in any danger there. But people climbing up on uh, the hillside there could be in danger. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, there was a, a fatality as a result of uh, recreation on the east side of, of Mount Jumbo. Um, I'm not quite sure of the year when that occurred. Um, and I think that the difference there is that it, it was a single isolated event, and to your point, uh, did not uh, go beyond kind of that, where that recreation was occurring. Um, and people need to be careful in the backcountry and as we're talking um, here in some of our open space lands as well. Um, the, the main concern with, with Mount Jumbo is is that someone who's recreating on the top um, likely will cause that avalanche to then reach the valley floor uh, and have disastrous impacts. Did that help you, Ed? Okay. Yep, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Now, uh, there, there's one th- the thing that is uh, ev- every year there is a, a notice that uh, people are allowed to walk on, on, on the trails, but that no, no dogs are allowed. So could, could you share a little bit? I, I realize that has nothing to do with the avalanche thing, but, uh, but, but, there, but there are people are wondering, well, my dog is well-behaved and blah, blah, blah. Why can't I take him or her up on Mount Jumbo at certain times of the year? So uh, that's really to protect elk. Um, so, you know, dogs, while they may be uh, cuddly and fluffy, they are descended from wolves. And so many dogs have a natural prey drive. Um, and elk are you know, uh, sorry, wolves are natural predators of elk. And so uh, many dogs still have that innate drive to then chase wildlife. And, um, you know, where we have a dog closure in place where humans can go, but we're asking that you don't bring your dog for a short period of time, um, that's to protect elk. Last year, we had an additional dog closure because we were bringing um, sheep back to graze on non-native weeds on the North Hills and Mount Jumbo. And the reason why we had a dog closure for actually a relatively short period of time was that in order to protect the sheep, that livestock from natural predators, we have a guard dog. And that guard dog is trained to attack any other potential predator, including domestic dogs. And so we want to make sure that the sheep that we're contracting with to control non-native weeds are protected just as much as individuals' dogs are protected. So in those cases where we have a specific dog closure, Every single access point is very brightly signed with large yellow signs, letting folks know that there's a dog closure in place. As with the winter closure on Mount Jumbo, we have lots and lots and lots of other trails in the valley where you can take your dog during that period of time. No, I, I, I can see, I can see somebody say, "Well, I have a Chihuahua on a leash." I mean, come on. I mean, it, 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 it's pretty specific. No dogs, right? That is correct. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, we realize that you know, again. Someone, a dog may be the best behaved in a normal setting, right? So at home or on leash, walking down a path. But when you introduce the uh, sort of uh, issue of livestock or of prey, Mm -hmm. um, they can act in all sorts of crazy ways. And we want to try to reduce that potential conflict. And then obviously 
protect both individuals' pets as well as the livestock that we're bringing onto the properties. Okay, with that, we're up against a break. 721 is our number. We had a couple of folks. Uh, we have Dave waiting to visit with you. And I believe uh, Emmett? Nope, nope, no, no. Okay, we're going to come right back with more of Talk Back right after this. Okay, we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Our guest in the studio, Adrian Beck, Director of the Missoula County Office of Emergency Management. Jeff Gicklehorn also joining us. He's the Conservation Lands Manager. We're talking about what's going on up, up, up on the North Hills uh, uh, with urban avalanche prevention. And we're just letting folks be aware of what happened in the past and the precautions that are being taken to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right? So let's continue on. Uh, this is Dave. Dave, good morning. You're on with our guests. Go ahead. Yes, this is a little off topic a little bit, but the landfill, I mean, is there any idea how long it'll be allowed to dump up there? And is there any talk about expanding it to another draw on on the hillside? Uh, I'm not sure you know anything about it, but I'm curious if you do. Um, What I do know about it is that it's privately owned. Republic owns that landfill. They frequently talk about how the life of the landfill is not eternal. So they're always periodically creating new cells. Um, The city tries to help with that in, for instance, um, requiring in many cases or encouraging deconstruction of buildings so that we're not throwing building material into the landfill. We have a zero waste initiative. We um, own a composting facility where we also recycle biosolids from the wastewater treatment plant. Um, And all of that is attempting to keep materials out of the landfill. And we make make progress on that all the time. Is there a limit to their permit for time-wise, or is it it, um, pretty much whenever it gets filled up? That's their land, right? I mean... They own it. Yeah. Um, It's permitted through... It's permitted through the state, right? And I don't know what the rules are around those permits. Okay, but that's a very good question. Like you say, someday it's going to be full, and where they move to will be interesting. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Very. (laughs) And okay, hey, we have we have a lovely uh, residential neighborhood right on top of a former landfill. Yeah. Anyway, let's (laughs) let's get Catherine on the line. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Catherine, good morning. You're on with our guests. Hi. Yeah, I was just wondering uh, when somebody was mentioning the uh, the uh, dogs uh, off leashes and all that. Um, every summer for a while, we were having sheep up there to uh, munch on the knapweed. Are we still doing that or no? Yes. So uh, we we had a previous iteration of a sheep grazing program um, that ran through about 2017, and there was a gap where that sheep operator actually retired. Um, we were able to bring back a different sheep operator last year. Uh, we had more sheep. They were on the North Hills and Mount Jumbo for a much shorter period of time, less than two months total, which means that uh, because we have more sheep, uh, like we said in the last segment, that um, we instituted a hard dog closure rather than a dog on leash restriction. So with more sheep, there's more potential for um, a potential nat- negative interaction. But because we had more sheep and they were able to move through faster, we had spent um, at most three weeks on any one property. So it's a two to three week uh, impact to recreational users. We move across multiple properties between the North Hills and Mount Jumbo um, over the course of about two months, largely between June 1st 
and July 30th. Last year, we were about two weeks behind that um, due to the late spring. And so, uh, mm-hmm. yes, we are bringing sheep back. Um, they are a really valuable and cost-effective tool at controlling non-native weeds. Where, where do um, they come from? Uh, this this sheep operator is based out of Dillon, Montana. So uh, it's you know, you know, we don't have any large sheep operators in Missoula, the Missoula Valley proper. So we are looking a little bit more broadly, but still staying within the state. Okay, yeah, we um, I, the other one was from Grass Valley, I think. And what's happening in Grass Valley these days? I don't have good insight into operations in Grass Valley. We're really focused uh, in the Missoula Valley. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. And uh, Susan is up next. Good morning, Susan. You're on with Adrian and Jeff. Go ahead. Well, since you brought up the domesticated sheep, I am going to tell you that as a life member of the Wild Sheep Foundation, domesticated sheep are deadly to wild sheep. And there was an instance, several instances a few years back where the wild sheep that were were um, also intermingling with the domesticated sheep and were actually killed because they intermingled with the domesticated sheep. So I am someone who adamantly opposes having domesticated sheep in a wild environment. And um, I... I think there are other ways of taking care of invasive species weeds that do not involve introducing domesticated sheep with wild sheep, and especially when the wild sheep are the ones that end up getting killed. And that's just a statement, and I don't know if you're going to make a comment about it, but... Well, yeah, Yeah, they're here to answer your question. Yeah. So thank you, Susan. So uh, are, are there wild sheep up there as well? That, so that's a great comment. And I think it really, um, it, it lends to the uh, potential risks of any sort of, in, in this case, invasive species control method, right? So uh, we're using domestic sheep for a specific purpose. We're not- And we for a specific time period. Exactly. Um, and so that, that we'll, we will get to that in, in a second. So th- there was an incident that occurred um, in the early 2010s where three juvenile bighorn rams from the lower Blackfoot herd, uh, as young males do, go on walkabout and ended up on Mount Jumbo. That's, it's, uh, it's not common, but it's not unheard of that young bighorn rams will end up on Mount Jumbo. Um, and they did inter- intermingle with, the, the again, the prior iteration of the domestic sheep herd that was on Mount Jumbo in May. So uh, we basically didn't know or made the mistake of bringing domestic sheep onto Mount Jumbo far too early uh, at a time when bighorn rams were again uh, dispersing, sort of going on walking about, looking for potential new territory. Um, And as the caller referenced, uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks made the decision to put down those three juvenile bighorn rams because of the risk of potential disease transmission from the domestic sheep to the wild bighorns. After that incident, the city came together with uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to put in place a mitigation protocol in which we will not bring domestic sheep onto Mount Jumbo until after July 4th. And so what we're doing, we're not spatially separating them, we're temporally separating them. So we're bringing them on 
over a month later than there is any recorded sighting of domestic bighorns, or excuse me, sorry, wild bighorns um, on Mount Jumbo. And so we still have the ability to use that tool while vastly, vastly decreasing the potential um, intermingling. And so, uh, you know, I, I wanted to also touch on the uh, caller's uh, comment about other tools for control of non-native species. Uh, if anybody drives along I-90 east of Missoula in the late spring, you will see the neon green that is the south face of Mount Jumbo. That is all leafy spurge. If you go higher up and onto um, the Mount Jumbo saddle, you'll see the bright purple hue of spotted knapweed. And so uh, one thing about domestic sheep as opposed to other control methods or other even livestock is that domestic sheep really do target flowering plants and the vast majority of our uh, invasive weeds are flowering plants. And so when we bring sheep on, when we have those weeds in full flower, it is like candy for the sheep. And they really target those invasive weeds. They do minimal impacts to our native plants. And so if we're going to wrap this all the way back around to the winter elk closure uh, and protection of habitat for our wildlife species, both for elk and for bighorn, we want to make sure that those landscapes are not inundated with non-native weeds and that we actually have forage for those native wildlife species that occur there. And so we do need to undertake some level of weed control. Uh, use of domestic sheep is far less fiscally costly, and we can cover a much larger area. And it's not poison. Exactly. Rather than using something like chemical herbicides. Right. Okay. Um, we're, we're, we're up against yep. a break. We're actually two minutes past a break. Okay. I, I didn't want to stop you. Yep. You're on a roll. Oh, no. Thanks. So we're, we're, we're going to come right back. It's a, it's a one-minute timeout. We'll be back. Still phone lines open. If you have questions, we'll be on here for about another six or seven minutes. 721-1290. And we are back yeah. on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. I, think I just went, what? <laughs> anyway, the phone lines are still open. Um, uh, it, w- one of the things that, that we hear about a lot on this program, all right, is is housing, affordable housing, any kind of housing. And so uh, so when, when we hear about all, all the, the measures that, that are being taken to protect the hills and protect the, he, the sheep and protect the elk and all that, I, I, I can hear in the back of my mind some people saying, well, yeah, we need more housing. So if, if you wouldn't mind addressing the, the balance that we're trying to talk about here. Sure. So um, I think we arguably need both more housing and both, both more open space protections. So the city has adopted um, uh, a development strategy in which in the past where we used to be growing out, we're now growing in and up. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of infill and redevelopment of properties inside uh, the urban core or within the city limits or, or recently annexed areas where we're building in slightly higher densities. One thing that comes with construction higher densities is that, you know, those may be multifamily units. You may not have your own backyard. And so those open spaces, whether or not it's your neighborhood park or your regional park or Mount Jumbo, become even more important as the city grows inward and upward, that you have these spaces that uh, residents can go and recreate and experience a really wild landscape um, where it's very different from the valley bottom and the urban core. But we have a great um, connector trail system, right, a primary commuter trail system to get you to our trailheads. You don't even have to drive to go from the center of the valley to Mount Jumbo and hike up to the summit. Um, And so I think that arguably you need both. One can't happen without the other. And the strategy that um, uh, uh, residents have supported and council has adopted 
is to largely grow inward and upward at the same time as protecting these open space conservation lands. And we only have a couple of minutes left. So Adrian, I want to come back for folks who may have just joined us. Uh, we originally started talking about the urban avalanche uh, back in 2014 and, and the, the uh, procedures that you folks have put in place to try to keep that from happening again. Uh, so if you could hit that for us, for those who've just joined us, we've got about two minutes. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I think that since 2014 and, and continued analysis of, of that, um, that event and, and the hillside itself uh, has shown us that uh, it could happen again. It, it, it absolutely could. And we have those conditions that are present. And so we're much more proactive in uh, monitoring that hillside um, during the during the winter months. And we are much more proactive in trying to enforce the closure so that we not only are protecting everything that Jeff's been talking about, but also trying to minimize that risk of a, of a human-triggered avalanche. All right. So so uh, real quickly, how can folks contact you at, at the website information? People would like to know where all these trails are and that sort of, So how do we find that? So you can go to missoulaparks.org or the General City of Missoula website and click on the Missoula Parks and Rec page. You can find out about lots of open space uh, recreation opportunities. Um, we also now have a uh, Urban Avalanche FAQ or Frequently Asked Questions uh, document that was just posted in the last few days to provide more information on, you know, again, what we talked about today, what the city and the county are jointly doing to uh, learn about and then potentially mitigate um, urban avalanches. Well, Jeff and Adrian and, and, and Jenny, thank you all for being with us. You, you guys have been super informative. Thank you very much for taking all the qu questions. And and uh, and you explained a very, uh, a very intricate matter very completely and very simply. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank All you. Right. Thank so, you. so Nick, uh, now, uh, what, what's going on? You have a microphone in front of your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to let everybody know that we're not going to have Talkback on Monday or Tuesday. We will still have Montana Morning, but we're going to have Armstrong and Getty from uh, 8 to 10 Monday and Tuesday next week. And then uh, we will be back on Wednesday with Walt Kiro. All right. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And again, uh, our guests in studio today have been Adrian Beck. She's the director of the Missoula County Office of Emergency Management, talking about the urban avalanche situation. And Jeff Gicklehorn, uh, holding forth very well for uh, almost a full hour. We, we kind of put you to the test here, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, Conservation Lands Manager for the City of Missoula. And Ginny, as always, it's good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. All right. And uh, so anyway, uh, th that's going to do it for this edition of uh, Montana Morning for the for today and this weekend. Again, as, as Nick just mentioned, there'll be no talk back. I know there'll be withdrawals uh, <laughs> for next Monday and Tuesday, but we'll, we'll be back on Wednesday. So get out there and I hope your favorite team wins the Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll see. See you on Monday. <laughs>